Amen. Come on now. Amen. That last amen was so I can catch my breath. But it's an, uh, incredible to be here with you today, to be able to have the opportunity to share God's word with you and to see what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. Amen? Sometimes God speaks to us in many different ways. And this morning, it's my heart's cry that as I share, that you will sense and feel the Father's heart on what you've seen before you seemed today. Some of you, as you're walking in through the parking lot, you saw someone, one of my models out in the, in the road. You saw some at the, at the entrance. You saw some here even at the foyer. You see these, these um, signs before you. There is indeed a message that the Lord wants to share with each and every one of our hearts today. This is a word that even to a young, uh, I was calling myself young, uh, a man that was raised in the church as a young boy didn't truly understand until the conviction of the Holy Spirit grabs you. And when the Holy Spirit grabs you, there's no letting go. You can't run from it, can't hide from it. It's there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, today the title of my sermon is To the Least of These. To the Least of These. And my scripture for today is going to be Matthew 25, 31 through 40. Please stand with me. When a son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will, will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by, the fa- by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked af- after me. I was in prison. And you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see, see you, a stranger, or invite you in? Or needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king replied, will reply. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, 
these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. Let us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O God, that you are indeed the Lord and Savior of our life. And Father, I just pray that right now, these moments that we have in your word, the Lord, you will begin to speak into our hearts and our minds and our lives clearly so we can hear your heart. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. You see, it's a, it's a natural thing for Christians to want to be around other Christians. How many of us remember that when you first got saved, you just wanted to be around, you know, the brothers and sisters, they love the Lord so much, and they want to read, the, you know, the th- all the three, you know, the three synoptic gospels together, and we want to study. And there's just something about that spiritual glue that people who, who are like-minded and like-spirited want to be together. We can worship freely, we study deeply, we communicate, communicate clearly. Hanging out with like-minded people who appear to have their stuff together can be a wonderful thing. But how well are we engaging those who aren't as spiritually stable as we think we are? You see, I've been taken back over the many years just seeing this, this being played out. The fact that a lot of Christians don't seem to like the quote-unquote non-Christians, otherwise known as the lost, the unchurched, or whatever other term that you may want to use. Sometimes they want to keep away from the messy people. The messy people. Perhaps missing the obvious that we are messy as well. We are messy as well. I am messy as well. It's kind of interesting that after coming to Christ and growing in knowledge, we often end up distancing ourselves from them. Former friends, some friends we do need to put that distance because those friends were going one way fast. I got it. You mean? But there are, there are those that some, for some reason we just turn our backs on them because now we're at a different level. Ever meet anybody like that? I'm at a different level. And then, as we begin to grow in spiritual maturity, we find that we have less and less time for the hurting and the struggling. And nowadays, we call that life gets busy. Right? Life gets busy. You see, because we, who are here today, who are gathered here, have found the one thing that meets the need in our lives. But we keep our distance from those who need the very thing we found. You see, I don't think this separation is intentional, but it does happen. And in the end, our intentions don't matter. Our needs get met and we move on. Oblivious to the world that's falling apart around us. I don't have to tell you, you just turn the TV on. I don't have to tell you, you walk down the, the, the hallways of your high schools or your colleges. I don't have to tell you. You see it, you live it, and you talk to people and you see it, even in the workplace. A world that is falling around, around us. 
But you know what? This is not the way of Christ. This is not the way of the Lord. You see, because Jesus lived differently. One of the common criticisms Jesus faced was that he spent too much time with sinners. Yo, man, you're supposed to be Jesus. You spent too much time with them sinners. Why are you hanging around with them? Why are you hanging out with beggars? Why are you hanging out with those people with, with sores and stuff on their body? They're unclean. You're not supposed to be near them. But I repeat, Jesus lived differently. He lived differently. You see, he associated with the unwelcomed and the unappreciated in society. I'll say that again. He associated with the unwelcome and the unappreciated of society. A quick question for us. How many of us could be accused of spending too much time with the riffraff? Hmm. Lord, help me. Hallelujah. My first point, I'm going to be talking. I have three points this morning. We're going to be talking about the who, the what, And pardon me to all the English majors in here. Me, why? Okay? The who, the what, me, why? You see, seeing a homeless man pushing a grocery cart full of cans or children sitting and trying to sell lemonade for money to support their family near the entrance to a highway have waited on me. These are some true situations that I've seen. And many of you have seen people walking around in different areas no matter where you've traveled. But these, these have waited on me. Confronted with the scenes like this has made me think a lot about Jesus' call to serve the least of these. What should this look like in my life? And over the years, I've had far more failures. And I'm being honest here this morning. I have had more failures than successes when it comes to reaching out to these people. And I can tell you, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, since that moment and that day, my life hasn't been changed. And I began to look at the unappreciated and the unwelcome and and the needy and the poor in a different light trying to see them in the way that our Father sees them. But I, before we, and we're talking about the who, but I'm going to give you a little show of who, who I, 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 I was. There was a time where I'm pulling out of a Walmart. Pulling out of a Walmart, and someone's standing in front of Walmart, the entrance, exit of Walmart, you know, and they're asking for something. Asking for something, they need something. And I'm driving, and the minute that I caught eyes with them, you know what I did? I start going through my head. They don't need that money for that. They don't want to take that money and do whatever they're going to do. They're not going to take that money to do what they say they want it for on that sign. So I'm not going to help them out because I give them that $10 and they're going to use that $10 up. Why am I going to give them that money? Having this conversation in the car, the Holy Spirit begins to say, Arthur, no, I mean, why is they going to give it? I mean, they're just standing out there. And, Come on. Someone else will do it. Someone else will stop. Arthur, you need to give the money. I, I can't see that. I can't see that. And as I continue to drive into the parking lot, the weight and the heaviness of that conviction 
rattled me to my core. So much so that I could not get out of the car to go into the store. But I got back in my car and I went back. We're talking about the who, the unappreciated, the unwanted, the unwelcome. I drove back to that very spot. And within minutes, they were gone. Gone. And I don't know about you, there are certain things in my life when God wants to speak to me and maybe when I don't step out and do that, that right thing, I have these memories that are burned into the core of my mind, my spirit, and my heart because of my failure to step out and follow his heart, to follow his lead. So this is something that God just began to pour out in my heart. And I'll never forget that person. I'll never forget that situation. But this is the who that we are talking about this morning. You see, it says it in the Bible. God says it. Deuteronomy 15.11 says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. God said in his word, there, there will never cease to be poor in the land. There are going to be people who are needy. There are going to be the homeless. There are going to be the brokenhearted. They are going to be here. And real quickly, I would like to share some numbers with you. Youth homeless crisis in the United States. You see, in, in November 2017, Chapman Hall of the University of Chicago, they released a groundbreaking um, report on youth homelessness in the United States. They conducted this over a course of a year rather than a single night. The study is the most comprehensive research to date on the, on the, on the youth homeless. And I'm going to share some numbers re- with you real quick. 3.5 million young adults ages 18 to 25 experience a form of homelessness, ho- homelessness in the course of a year. That's one out of every 10 adults. 700,000 adolescent minors ages 13 to 17 experience a form of homelessness in the course of a year. That's one out of every 30. In total, 4.2 million young people experience a form of homelessness in a given year. From couch surfing to living on the streets. Half of the youth who experience homelessness in that past year, experienced it for the first time. And you know what? These statistics had nothing to do about if they were rural or urban areas. They were still affected the same way. In total, in 2017, nearly 554,000 people across the country were homeless. That's including the adults. That's in staggering figures. And you're saying, Arthur, I know that. And I know, you know, this is not National Geographic, but I wanted to share these numbers with you because it's real. Can't run from it. We can't hide from it. Anyone can be in need at any time. Needy. What do we, that term, needy? It means the lack of a particular thing at a particular time. If you have all of the money in the world, but you lack good health, then you are needy. Insofar, you need medical assistance. Anyone can become needy at any given period of life, irrespective of their wealth. Doesn't matter, rich or poor, you can become needy. An example of that 
this morning that I'd like to share with you. There's one time I became needy, had a great job, great career, decided to buy my house. I was looking to buy a house. I mean, I drove around that house, said, Lord, that's my house, that's mine. In the name of Jesus, claim it. Went through the whole process with the title search, everything, you name it. The mortgage companies, you know, had my due date. And, you know, for me, I thought, hey, great. You know, the, uh, I was renting a house, and then the last day I was renting the house, had to be moved out, was on my closing date. Everything was, you know, the money, all this was supposed to be good. Closing was supposed to be at 2. I was w- working my way out of the house I was renting. Loaded my, my, my everything, my family, my clothes, everything, furniture, loaded up in the truck by 12. I was going to park the truck and wait until after closing. Sitting in the back of my truck, I get a call. Hi, Mr. Sibley. He says, yes, hello. I'm excited, yo. I'll get my first house, dog. I'll get my first house. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is Arthur. I said, yeah, um, yeah, we need, a, we need an additional $10,000. Oh, because maybe y'all didn't hear that. Okay, maybe y'all didn't hear that. We need an additional $10,000. Yo, you want to see the heart of a man drop? I'm like, I don't have the thousand dollars. I'm like, you mean to tell me this at twelve, twelve thirty, and the closing is at two? He said, Yeah, you, you, that gives me how many hours? I, I, I don't have no friends. Got ten grand, so you kind of know where the story's going. And guess what? In a moment. I was homeless. That's it. I had to be out of that house. Couldn't talk my way back in the house. And I was homeless. Arthur and his family was needy. You see, because that, it can happen to any one of us. That we can become needy at any point in time. And sometimes I know for myself, we get jaded when we see a sign and them say that. But we don't understand what they, what they went through. I was a police officer, homeless, but God, by God's grace, he began to work things out for me, and I will continue that on there. But you know, God is good, and we need to live that out, living that out. Now, let's talk about the what. What are we to do? What are we to do? Arthur, duh, yes, we have homeless. Yes, we got this. But you know, what are, what are we to do? Well, first point, let's follow the example of Jesus. You see, Jesus came to serve. He came to serve. In fact, this type of ministry was a sign that he was indeed the true Messiah. Prophecy was being fulfilled as he showed kindness to those who were hurting. Throughout scripture, we see the work of Christ among the widows, the blind, the broken, whoever had a need. Jesus served with compassion. Jesus provides a vivid an explicit picture of how when he returns to finally establish his kingdom, 
He will separate people as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. You thought that scripture, I just re- that's real. He's gonna, he's, there's going to be a sifting. His litmus test to determine whether we're truly part of the kingdom, kingdom seems simple and clear. However, we treat the least of these, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the homeless, the sick, and in prison is how we would treat him. You see, this morning, we put on a, skit, a short skit for you. The title of it indeed was called a visit, from, a visit from God. And how many of us here today can, can imagine ourselves in that spot where something very big is coming up and we, we are just locked into that? Marcus, I like that name. I might have to change my name. But Marcus, I like it just rolls out, Pastor. You might have to call me John Arthur Marcus. No, Marcus Arthur. We might have to change that. We'll talk. But um, <laughs> there we go. Amen. You know, so we get all caught up. And Marcus got caught up in that incredible visit of God coming to see him today. God was coming to see him today, and you all saw how it played out in front of you, how Marcus looked past the needs of those that were coming to his door. They were coming to him, and he didn't have time for them. He was focused on one thing, that one important thing, that we would all agree, yes, it's important, but guess what? We didn't see through what that all meant. And hearing the heart of the Father. That God indeed wants to visit us. And again, taking it back to how many people that we have come in contact with. Because again, we know in God's word says, "Whatever whatever you have done to the least of these, you've done what? Okay, so, Selma, come on. For whatever you, you're right, you're right. We're going to have a snack time at uh, 1030. But, you know what? So whatever, he's, whatever we have done to the least of these, we have done to? Amen. We have done to him. You see, we can examine our lives and see how we respond to the least of these and know whether the good news of the kingdom took root in our life. You see, because we are forever changing and growing if, if, we humble ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to change and move in our life. That's how that happens. We don't read it and we absorb it and that's it. Osmosis. It doesn't work that way. The way to examine is see that it took root in our lives. And I'm telling you, me preparing this sermon, I'm going, ouch, ouch, ouch. Even though I was convicted, I'm still saying, ouch, oh, Lord, my heart is crying inside. For years, I'm 51 years old, that the, I had this mindset that you, everybody, I figured everybody, you know, was okay. Uh-uh. No. And to, get, to give you more example of what are we to do in following Jesus' example, we know that there were about, five, we talk, they talk about in uh, Luke, Luke 9, when they were feeding of the 5,000. 
And I know it's been documented that they feel that there was actually more there than the actual 5,000. With many needing healing, they were hungry, they were starving. They didn't have a bodega. They didn't have, you know, um, wah-wah. They didn't have nothing like that where they can go grab some. You know, Jesus is like, we're taking a 15-minute break. Okay, find your place. No. These people were following him in drones. The needy, the sick, those who are hungry spiritually and physically. See, and again... They were hungry and there were no place to buy any near food. Their physical hunger and their inability to satisfy that hunger. You see, the Lord's people, you and I, are inadequate in ourselves to meet people's need. I think that's why this can be so, so cutting because it's not something that we could readily swip, flip the switch. You see, the other Gospels report that disciples, the disciples' easy solution to that multitude who was hungry for their need for food was to send them away so that they can buy their own food. Mark 6.36. Yo, I got a good idea, Jesus. Let's send these people away. 15-minute break, tell them to go down the mountainside, then they'll come back in an hour. Just imagine that. Picture that. You're going to say, Jesus, I got a great out of there. Let's send them now. What type of, do you think Jesus gave his disciples a side eye every once in a while? Come on, do you? He was like, what? How long you been with me, boy? Like, but hey, good ideas. Wow. Problem solved. Well, at least it was solved as far as the disciples were concerned. But Jesus told them in Mark 6, 37, you give them something to eat. Specifically, so he told them that you give them something to eat. And then the Lord asked Philip in John 6, 5, where are we to buy bread so these may eat? And there was a lot of people. And I can tell you this. It, it would have been great if Philip had responded in this way. Lord, I've seen you turn water into wine. I've watched you heal the royal official's sons, heal the, uh, heal the royal official's son from a distance. I saw you heal the man who had been una- unable to walk for 38 years. I've watched you perform dozens and dozens of miracles. Surely you can provide bread for this hungry multitude, even as God provided manna in the wilderness. I like to think that this is how I would have responded, but... <laughs> No, in the flesh, thinking about the me, my break, not all these people coming around. You see, no, I would have responded just as Philip. He started calculating, but he calculated without Christ. Get that. Math without Christ is bad math. Because you see, because God can then do the supernatural. He did the numbers without considering the Lord's power and concluded with this business, business-like efficiency. They didn't have pencils back then, but I kind of figured he'd be walking around saying, eight months salary, um, working more than uh, 200 denarii um, is not sufficient for uh, one to receive a little. The problem was they didn't have 200 denarii. They didn't have no money. 
It wasn't enough anyway for them to have a little. There weren't supermarkets. It's oftentimes we throw our hands up in the air and we just say, there's no way, we're beat. Then along comes Andrew, who says in John 6, 9, and again, he brings the young boy and we know what happened. The young boy comes with the, his loaves of fish and then the bread and we understand the, the great miracle that goes out. God is so bad, Jesus is so bad that you got extra. Come on. Jesus is so awesome that we can have extra. Even when there's nothing and when he does his miracle thing, there is something and there's something left over to remind us that, you know what? He is the great I am this morning. He indeed is the great I am this morning. Hallelujah. And again, this morning, just real quickly, Jesus is not, we can't be held back with our own human thoughts. You see, because Christ is not limited. He is not limited in any way. And he's not even limited by who we are because he made us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was going to talk about the story of uh, Bartimaeus, but we're, we're going to move on from there. But understanding that most of us know the story of Bartimaeus when Jesus was walking with the crowds, with his disciples and the crowds of people, and Bartimaeus, like, he wanted his healing. What happened when he said, he, he called out to Jesus? What happened? Come on, you people who went to Sunday school, what happened when Bartimaeus was called out to Jesus? All right. They yelled at him, tell him, shut up! No more. But we understand what happened. Jesus heard. He continued. And he ended up getting his healing. And I bring up that point because even though we may find ourselves in position, place of righteousness, place of authority, place of prominence, and we feel that we can say, hush now. And we forget, like Marcus forgot, the true big picture in all of this. You see, Christ uses inadequate people who surrender what they have to him to meet the overwhelming needs of others. Christ uses inadequate people who surrender what they have to him to meet the overwhelming needs of others. Now I'll move on to my last point. Me, why? You see, it might not be easy, but our call to help the poor is a scriptural mandate that few would argue against. We can't argue against it. Deuteronomy 15, 7, 7 and 8 says, if among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. 
This is just one of the many passages, passages of Scripture in the Bible that shows God's incredible concern for the least of these. And I got two more real quick for you. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, don't talk out two different sides of your mouth. Okay? Breaking it down. And this last one, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-seven: Whoever gives to the poor will not want. Let's hear that again, because I... Whoever gives to the poor will not want. But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. And I share these scriptures with you, and there's many, not to scare you or to try to to, to make you feel bad, but to show you the urgency of the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father that says, I love that one. I love that one. I love that one. You are my sons and daughters. Pour into their life. Give how I've so richly given you. It's, it is something that I realize that I can no longer hide my face, like the scripture says, turn my head or close my heart to. You see, because we are going to be judged according to the light that we've received this morning. But with God's help, we indeed may be able to change some of the ways that we've done things. You see, Jesus came to save. In Luke 19.10, he says, he came to seek and save the lost. And the same Jesus who came to serve and to save then says to us in John 20.21, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So send I you. You see, Ed Stetzer, who's a minister, he stated this in an article. A church with the broken, a church without the broken is a broken church. I'll say that again. A church without the broken is a broken church. That's indeed why our Father came this morning. That's indeed why he's come to give us new life. We have been sent by Jesus to join him in his mission. He came to serve and save. Then so must we. You see, serving and saving our marks of Christ's life on this earth. They should be marks of his people as well. The sons and the daughters. But to do that this morning, we must engage with the broken, the hurting people around us. I want to be a part of a church where broken people A church where perfect people aren't allowed. 
a place where people can embark on this journey without having everything figured out. That's hard. But that's what we've been called to be. And I'll say it again. A church without the broken is a broken church. My heart's desire, even in these moments and even as I've shared with you in my prayer, that this word will spur the hearts of men and women, children, to activate their compassion which will lead to reaching the poor and needy. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? If everyone could begin to just close your eyes for a moment. Where do we go from here? And in these few moments... There are some here today that need to pursue a renewed compassion for the poor needed here this morning. Maybe because of life circumstances or the things, circumstances that you've gone through, you've hardened yourself. And you sit, sit there today, you sit here today saying, I need a renewed compassion. Or you may be here today. And you may be sitting here even now and saying, you know, Arthur, despite what you share, I still, my flesh, it wants to maintain the same stance, man. I know what you're saying, but, but maybe you've also decided and realized that you need to humbly come to the Father and say, change my heart, O God. Change my heart, O God. Sometimes we have to step out in faith and know and saying the right thing because we know that's what God wants and then the, the flesh will follow. Change my heart, O God. So even now, I would like to pray. So if you're here today and you just know that you would like God to deal with you on this level, serving others, serving the least of these, you want God to deal with your heart and your mind to renew that compassion. Or you're at that place where you're, you're like, eh, well, but Lord, change my heart, oh God. I want to pray with you this morning. If that's the case, I'm going to ask that all you do is raise your hand. And you know why? We've gotten away from that in the Pentecostal church of having people do things. But I've learned in Scripture 
when we do, God shows up. See, in Ezekiel it says, when you seek after me, you will find me and I will answer you. By a raising of the hand, you are taking an action where God is going to meet you where you are to change your heart, softening your heart. So even at this time, you can begin to raise your hands. <coughs> Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. And Father, you know our hearts and you know our the different struggles that we have, oh God. But Lord, I pray that the many hands around this, this, this auditorium, oh God, that Father, understanding that we, oh God, want to be able to love those the unappreciated, the unwelcome, the sick, the needy, the homeless. Change our heart, oh God. For those in renew the passions that from deep within, oh God, we pray. This morning, renew, renew, renew. Hallelujah.